Welcome to Story and Rain Talks, the Story and Rain magazine podcast. I'm Tamara Rappa, founder, editor-in-chief, and your host. Join me here as we dive deep and go behind the scenes with creatives from all fields, exploring the origins for game-changing ideas and careers, and so much more. It's our expert curation of conversations with those who are pushing culture forward, and we're inviting you to get inside the story. This week, I'm talking to the super yacht captain with 33 years of experience, who became a public figure in a flash when she began starring in Bravo's beloved Below Deck, the series that's famously found fans far and wide. I sit down with Sandy Yawn to talk about how she's creative in her work and how she's built a stellar career on the sea. We discuss her early story and what led her to sobriety and how the before and after of getting sober has contributed to her success. Sandy shares so many stories from the biggest moments in her career to behind the scenes on the series and with her crew. And we discuss production, whom Sandy sees as the client when she's filming. She shares what it's like to be a woman in a male-dominated industry. And I ask her about her relationship with the vessel, the huge piece of intricate machinery that she is the boss of. Known for her nurturing, Sandy breaks down the hallmarks of an excellent leader, talks setting boundaries, resilience, her management style, and more. We talk bucket list travel and how she finds a sense of place in a life on the move. Sandy gets candid eight years in about whether she was prepared for turning the cameras on and into her professional life and the oversharing that the cameras beg for. This week's podcast gives you a look into Sandy's joy-filled heart, a peek into her plans for a new home, what her wedding will look like, and the boat she's eyeing for herself. We wrap with why she wakes up each day filled with positive energy, but not before getting her to explain exactly how she does it, balancing being kind and generous and empathetic with commanding respect. I love this woman. Our conversations with creatives continue as Story and Rain talks to Captain Sandy Yawn. Hi. It's great to be sitting down with you. You are an inspiration and you're just the coolest and we're so happy to be sharing your story with our tribe of followers. Well, thank you very much for that. Since 2015, you've starred on Bravo's Below Deck, which, you know, since its debut has become a huge pop culture favorite and phenomenon. And this took you from super yacht captain with 33 years of experience to public figure. And in recent years on the show, You've opened up to share aspects of your early story, which we love, and also your sobriety and what led you to become sober. I want to start at the beginning. How exactly did you make your way into the yachting industry? What exactly triggered you to pursue working on boats and ships and on the sea? It wasn't a choice. It wasn't a longing. I grew up in Florida. I had to pay a bunch of fines. And, and actually, I answered an ad in the paper to wash boats. Right. So I was washing boats taking care of 14 boats a week. And one guy saw how hard I worked and invested in me, offered me a full-time job. And the one thing I learned was the word integrity and what it meant. So I didn't steal the client from the guy I worked for that gave me an opportunity. I went back and said, hey, your client offered me a full-time job. And he goes, he's a jerk anyway. Take the job. Congratulations. And then from that point on, you just loved it and kind of dove right into the industry, dove right into it. Yeah. You know, I think if you're really just open and when the doors of opportunity open, you walk through them and sometimes you stay because it's pretty awesome. And, you you know, 
one always remembers they could walk back out the door. And I stayed. And it's because it was like I kept doing the next right thing and another door opened. So I walked through that door. And that's really been my entire life up into below deck and beyond. I love that. And that's great advice, actually. You can always walk back out the door. Yes. How has the before and after of getting sober contributed to or helped you in your work? 100%. Because even today, I'm going through a lot with the the build of our house. The builders like taking our money and it's terrible. Oh my gosh. That is happening to so many people I know. That's why I'm in Jacksonville. We're just trying to, you know, salvage what money we have. It's pretty hard. So, you know, for me, it's that doing the next right thing continuing to do that and show up for yourself and in your life. Like you got to be your own advocate in a kind way. You know, people are lawyering up and suing them. I don't want to be that person because the only people that benefit are the attorneys. Because if the builder could finish our house, he would. He's out of money. That's right. I learned a long time ago, you know, especially in boating, you know, the way you get ahead is by having conversations and being transparent and not a jerk. We're going to talk about your particular brand of kindness, which is really extraordinary. How long did it take you to build up your skill? How long was it before you became captain? You know, um, years, honestly, like the first time I got to drive a boat, I'll never forget it. I was allowed to take it on my own to the Bahamas. I was very nervous. It's all about decision-making when you're at the helm. You know, when you have fair winds, fair weather, calm seas, it's a blast. But when the weather starts to change, you're starting to have breakdowns because every time the weather changes, the seas get rough and the boats slosh around. And what usually happens, it's fuel related. You lose an engine, you lose a generator, you lose systems. It's problem solving. So for me, the journey was having those things happen and problem solving along the way and learning. And I'm telling you, it's scary out there. Oh, my God. I cannot even imagine. Yeah, to the next. And I always look at my history. Every time I have a problem, I go, well, I got through the last one. So I'm pretty sure I can get through this one. What are some of the memories that stand out for you from the early days in your career? Memories of moments or aspects of work that expanded you both as a person and as a professional? My first time going on the boat to the Bahamas, I got to see what the waters look like, how beautiful and clear it was. I saw the dolphins like swimming next to the vessel. I was like, I get to do this and make money. I want this as my career. And that was my pursuit. Obviously, there's a lot of finance to the side of boating. There's budgets you have to maintain. I didn't graduate school. I had a lot to learn. What I loved about this particular owner is I had to go into his corporate office. He taught me Excel. He taught me, well, his staff did. He's a finance. So finance was a huge thing. And he bought me a book on how to make money with boats. And he goes, read. What a great sort of first experience. A bit of a cliche question comes next, but one certainly worth discussing. Did you experience any kind of pushback being a woman in your industry? Or maybe you didn't. Maybe you were just kicking ass. Or if so, what? What did you experience? I don't think I was aware of it if I was. I was just so happy to be there and so thrilled with the opportunity that I just didn't pay attention to that. It probably happened, but I don't remember because I didn't focus on that. I focused on this is freaking awesome. I get to do this. And then it became from the Bahamas. Then I got to take the boat up to the Northeast. And I remember once I got hit by a water spout, I called his office. His wife answered. 
And she goes, what's the purpose of this phone call? And I said, to give you my latitude and longitude, just in case we don't make it to shore. Oh, wow. And then he picked up the phone and, and had those conversations. But I didn't ever feel that way. Later in my career, I wasn't hired because I was a woman. And I thought his loss. And here's the cool part. I was in a hotel room and my mom had passed away recently and I was going for a new job and, you know, I got turned down because I was a woman and I thought, you know, I just want to step on a boat that's in operation. I got a phone call that night at two in the morning. They said, can you be in Fort Lauderdale tomorrow for an interview with, you know, a guy that bought a boat? And I was like, I'm there. I got on a flight at 6 a.m. I met this guy and I worked for him for six years. That's the thing, being open-minded, right? And just taking the opportunity when it presents itself. How many other female captains are there out there? You know, there's a few, not as many as men, of course, but I can't wait to see Malia become a female captain. Joao right now is a captain. I'm so proud of him. Like he is in his own command. I saw him at the Monaco boat show. I go, have you made the mistake when you should have said no and stuck to it that you went out? He goes, yes. I was afraid for my life. He goes, I'll never do it again because we all go through that. And in his role, it's about decision-making. And that's the biggest part of being a captain. And I wish I could see Malia right now. She's working her way up on bigger yachts, which is a slower role, right? It's a slower move. Right. Joao, in my opinion, he's doing it the right way. Not that Malia isn't doing it the right way. It's just a different way. A different way. Interesting. What do you bring to the table as a female captain that sets you apart from the male captains that dominate the industry? Do female captains bring something different to the table or to the sea, I should say? Absolutely. Compassion. I think that's a big part of it. Someone just asked me, would I hire Kyle back? And I said, of course, I would hire Kyle back just to give him the opportunity to show him I believe that he will change. When you invest in people like that, they want to not disappoint. They don't want to disappoint you and they want to change sincerely. And I think that's something he wants to do. I think whereas a man would say, no, nah, he's done. Next. And we're going to talk a little bit more about your relationships uh, and being a manager and all of that. How do you put into words first? How do you put into words your relationship with the vessel? This huge piece of intricate machinery that you are the boss of. I love that question. And I always... Every time I have hand the helm to a crew member, I always, for me, think of me as I'm one with the vessel. That's listening, maneuvering. So I think I am swimming in the water. So when I need to go, if I'm being pushed to port, I know that I need to swim harder to the right, right? To the starboard. If I'm getting pushed to the left, I need to swim more to the right. Same thing with the engines on the boat. That's how I, I feel it. I don't think it. I feel it. And then I respond according to the movement of the vessel. I don't think it. <clears throat> Sometimes I have to pause and think, okay, which one do I put forward? Which one do I go astern? And at the same time, I um, learn the vessel. So every time I fly on an airplane, I listen to the engines and I go, what's that sound? It's I'm not a good flyer. Because all I do I can imagine, I just thought of that. You on an aircraft, you're feeling like one with the aircraft, right? And you're hearing all the noises and envisioning all the parts. Because wow. trust me, those boats, they make sounds and they talk to you. And so when you start hearing the, the wood, the boat twisting and these noises, these sounds that come out of it, you pray. I do as a captain. I hope the welds hold together. I hope the engines stay in the bed. Because, you know, we're just like an airplane with turbulence. We have it at sea. 
And it's like hitting a brick wall every time you hit a wave. How are you creative in your work, both technically speaking and being a manager and a leader and a representative, really, of this form of leisure and sport and all the things? Technically, I've always been gifted. I think I've always had that science mind. And obviously, I did go by the guy who gave me the opportunity, sent me to engine school, engineering school. Like, I learned air conditioning. So I understand the operation of a vessel. Today, I had to deal, because I have a charity, I had to get approval for something. And every time you call, some people just aren't in a good mood. So I started by, oh my gosh, I'm so happy. It was my energy behind it. And that's the creativity. And then I needed a unique number uh, for the government. And I said, how do I got a joke for you? And I told her, I go, how do you catch a unique bird? And she goes, I don't know how I go unique up on it. So it was like it's a silly little joke, but it's like breaking the ice. And to me, that's very, that's, you know, creative thinking. How can I get this person to want to help me in spite of all the obstacles? And that's what I do on a boat. It's like, how can I, you know, break barrier to get people to want to help and because I want to help people so and it's really just remembering that it is about relationships it is about people and not always when a lot of people you know get on the phone or they're on the vessel it's about this is what I need to do instead of pausing and saying hi how are you you know I just get to know people even if it's through the phone in a little way just you know what it's not a rush yeah. You know, life is a journey. And so is the creative thing to me is like a journey. And when those moments arise, I just draw within. Right. So much of this is about problem solving in all sorts of ways and being creative and solving. What are the hallmarks of an excellent leader? What do all excellent leaders share, in your opinion? Patience and perseverance. I believe that you have to be patient. You can't. You really have to be patient with people. The world's changed. It's a very different world. Really just pause. I think that's it. Patience and perseverance, honestly. And is there anything sort of distinctive and specific to captain leadership in your industry that you sort of have to be this? You know, I'm kind, right? A lot of people might think that that's soft, but the reality is I definitely know the line and I make sure that the crew know where the line is. This season, you see the line was crossed with the chef drinking with the guests, Mm -hmm. you know, when I watched the show, I thought, wow, I look really serious. But I knew, I already knew he had done that. I heard, you can hear. I really liked how he addressed it, to be honest. I was like, that says a lot about him. He did it and he caught himself right away and he sort of reported it to you when it was the right time to report it to you, right? Yes, exactly. And so when people come to you like that, of course, you're going to say, thanks for that. Don't let it happen again. And that happened to me once. I will never forget a broker sent a very long email to the owner He's a very powerful man and he's a founder of a bank. He write, he writes me one sentence, call me to discuss. Oh boy. With the whole thing about, and I thought, oh my God, he's going to fire me. All these, you know, self-talk and I call him up and I said, I just forgot. He goes, I knew it was something like that. Just don't let it happen again. And hung the phone up. I was like, oh, okay, cool. And moving on, right? you have and do come across all levels of resilience in this work of yours, this work that has you working and living with and serving others so closely. How much of a personal resilience is nature versus nurture? Are people born with a degree of resilience that they then choose to build or not? Are the most resilient people the ones who've taken the most risks? 
been through the toughest times. I bet you have incredible perspective on this. Yes. You know, it was the way I was raised. I think it does start in the home, to be honest, but I think you can learn it outside of the home. I come from a family that was very resilient. And, you know, my sister founded a school for children with autism. She's right outside. I watch what she does every day on a daily basis, plus handle her child with autism. It is a full-time job and it's exhausting. I think when you show up for people and yourself, like the energy comes, that resilience is born inside of you. You can find it. People can find it. They have to have the willingness to want it. I believe that's a big part of it. I'm going to just use my house as an example, because yeah. you know, I am not going to let it, let it take me down. Yeah. Uh, and I learned this, if you get pushed back, don't take a step back, make a comeback. And it isn't always a forceful comeback. It's slow and steady wins the race. And that's what I think about, especially every time I go to sea, it's like for a charter season. It's like you begin in, uh, in Cannes uh, with the film festival in May and you don't end until September with the Monaco Boat Show. How do I get these crew to maintain? I keep the same crew through this whole charter season and it's just, it's one charter at a time. Do you have philosophies you stick to when it comes to managing your crew? Or would you say you've let your heart and your gut guide you? Or do you have some sort of hard and fast rules that you're like, this is how I do it? Yeah, hard and fast rule is never lie to me. Because if you lie, you, you've broke the trust. And I'm just going to use Ruan. Like when you have like something like that, it's, I could never, I don't, I could never go to see and trust that person. That was shocking. I was in shock when I saw that, you know. But for example, like if the chef, you know, came to me and said, I'll, you know, I won't do it again. I trust that he won't, right? So there's a very different level of trust. You know, Colin Powell does a really good speech on this. It's uh, called, if you Google his leadership speech, it is awesome. And that's, and that's basically how I lead. I lead in the moment. I do rise the 30,000 feet and look at the whole situation. I always wait to hear the three, you know, there's always three sides to a story. Listen, I'm older. I have more experience in life. I also know that patience is something that you learn over time. It's something earned, right? I've learned that. Also, your gut is your second brain. I, I went to this Aspen Brain Forum. It was the smartest people on the planet. And it's something interesting. And I listened to my gut when I paused for that moment. And yes, I have principles I live by. I expect I have an expectation, but at the same time, each case is different. What kinds of crew members do you find yourself gravitating towards? Who do you tend to feel best relying upon or trusting? Is there a trait they share? I mean, aside from having this sort of like, oh, I, I like the way he handled himself. I feel like you can trust them. But is there something, is there a type of crew member that you gravitate toward? The ones who want to learn. Yes. Often on the show, you've said that. You love that in people, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting because Malia, and I'm just going to use her as an example, because when I first met her, she's like, sorry, because I asked her, Bobby and Wes, what were their goals? And that was my first season. So it would always be my favorite season, right? Because it was my first time. First season. And so they, Malia said, sorry, Cap, I just want to be a dive instructor. Bobby's like, yeah, I'm a firefighter, but this is cool. And Wes was on the trajectory of becoming a captain. You know, the fact that Malia, something I said shifted her thinking and she Googled C-Schools and she goes, did you read the log? And I go, well, I hadn't looked at it yet. She goes, why? Well, I looked up C-Schools because she left it in there for me to read. And it's like those moments, that's what changes lives. So it doesn't matter. Even 
if they're there and they're doing their job, I'm going to spend time with them. And you never know who you're mentoring. Because there was a woman named Vicki who ran Paul Allen's book called Medusa. She never knew. She didn't know me. I watched her drive out this massive yacht out of Monaco. I was on a little 92-footer. And I was like, someday I'm going to be like Vicki. You know? And um, she never knew that I looked up to her. And then years later, I got to know her. And I said, do you know you inspired me? And so that's what I always think about. When I stand on that bridge, I could be inspiring someone on the interior. And I never know because they never talk to me. It's so, for me, it's my, it's just investing that time, no matter if they want in or out. But if they're just there for television, I I mean, I tell them to go take acting classes. <laughs> you can tell the ones that are there just for, a, yeah. to be a persona or a character. Back to kindness. You're known for your kind of, through Below Deck, we see you lead with lots of kindness. I myself, of course, have managed all sorts of people over the years. I've witnessed many people managing people over the years, but I've never seen anyone balance being kind and generous and empathetic with commanding respect in the way that you do. What is that? <laughs> and has watching back the show demonstrated that side to you in a way that you hadn't seen in yourself before? It really is extraordinary. It's this like very interesting balance of like seriously commanding respect and being all these other things. Honestly, it goes back to my family. I was raised in the South, right? So that is the first thing they lead with is kindness. And my, my grandmother said, just be kind, no matter what, you know, like, don't be rude. Don't, you know, always be kind to people. That was drilled into my brain. And I'd always think, if it feels good, it is good. And if it feels right, it is right. If it feels wrong, it's I feel like a lot of people don't understand how to be tough and kind at the same time, right? Well, kindness, yes. And I watch my sister do it. She, you know, for example, if she goes to fire someone, she'll say, what is it that you need from me that I'm not giving you in order for you to do your job? Because right now, I really need you to do your job. I don't think you have to be mean or rude. I think you could be kind and let them know if you can't, do the job, I have to let you go. It's not personal. Yeah. And I think it's really it. And I don't know if you remember Mila. Yeah. But uh, she really thought, you know, she hugged me, I think, after I fired her. And so it's like, I just want people to, I don't, they've already feel down. Yeah. The last thing I want to do is, you know, beat a, you know, broken dog. Like, I don't want to hurt. There's nothing more to pile on to that. Right. That's Build right. Them up and say, for your next job, make sure you bring the energy and yeah. whatever, like seek what you're looking for. Like seek, I just, the strength is in the kindness. Mm -hmm. And it, it is possible to not have this happen again. It's in your hands, right? Is what you tell. So especially yeah. these days, and for a number of reasons, it's tricky for a boss to have a personal closeness with those who report to them. Where do you set your boundaries? And it must be particularly difficult on the show where everything centers around lots and lots of sharing and, and oversharing. Well, honestly, you know, someone just asked me, do you like going out with a crew or do you do you know where this member crew member is? What do you do after? And I go, I go find my family. You know, the reality is, is I have a family and I have friends. Yeah. We're like minded people. Yeah. I don't relate to a lot of the crew because I am older and I have a different way of thinking. Yeah. The balance for me is very clear. Um, I'm there to mentor them and help them to their next, you know, and it's always about them. So it's always other focus. So when I'm around my friends, I get to talk about what I'm going through. So I don't really, I don't never really had that problem of breaking that, crossing that. You, you lend an ear, you let, you know, you, yes. you advice and 
sometimes it can be tricky when, you know, you're not their best friend, you're their boss and there's certain boundaries, right? Yeah. So, and I go with the feeling, right? So that's what I do. So I know when to hug and when not to hug. Oh, that's like there. You know, keep the line. It's, and I'm a, I always say body language is a language. You just got to read it. Right. Right. That's a good one. The client relationship can be tricky, especially in your industry, whether on or off camera. What do you 100% know about customer service? That they have paid a lot of money to have the best service ever. And I want to make sure that that is delivered with respect to my crew. Now, if a client's disrespectful to the crew, I'm going to have the crews back. You know, having an expectation isn't rude. It's an expectation. It, and a lot of crew think it, they're rude. I'm like, no, that's an expectation. If the food isn't what they, you know, wanted, we need to know so we can improve. In fact, I just stayed at a Weston in Sarasota. The manager came up to me, fan of the show. She goes, I have my team watch your show all about management. She goes, you've made me a better, a better manager. And she said, because I ordered food to the room and she said, you didn't need it. I'm asking for your feedback. And I found myself, it was very difficult to tell her the truth. Did you? So now I understand. Yes, because the lady was so personable. But yes, I told the truth. So the truth was, I just wasn't hungry. I wanted the cereal. It wasn't about, but I thought, is the, was the pizza bad? Like I just kept questioning. And so now I get it. And I didn't, I didn't think that she's going to think I'm rude because she was really genuinely asking for feedback. I think for the crew and people on the other side of the table, they always think, wow, they're rude. But in America, and this is where we're different, we know it's an expectation because servers based on performance, right? That's what they, they make their money on tips. That's right. That's, that's a, wow, that, that sure is a huge, that's sort of a, yeah, it's a very big disparity with the American way, oh, yes. where you're traveling and what they do in terms of typical service. The yes. majority of the crew are not American. That's so right. for them, they think that's rude. I'm like, no, that's, that's an expectation. And that's why when I have crew, I let them know this is the expectation of Americans. And I always say this, Americans will tell you exactly what they want. They're not going to talk behind your back. They're going to let you know exactly that either they're satisfied or they're dissatisfied. And whereas other, you know, different countries, it's different. And I always like having an American crew, you know, uh, not crew, uh, guests, because they're very transparent. The crew doesn't matter where they're from. It's just a learning. We're going to talk about the cameras for a moment. Do you always watch alongside as the episodes air? Or do you tend to have to catch up on them? How are you about that? Is it interesting for you to kind of follow along in real time as the world is experiencing it? It must because social media is buzzing with every episode, right? I learn when the clients learn. We do get, get it uh, the Friday before, but rarely do I get to watch it. Oh, that's right. The new episode's coming out tonight. My sister's like, we got to watch it. I go, I haven't seen that one yet because I didn't have time because I've been dealing with my house. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize I don't really know what's going on because I'm not below deck, right? And so when the crew are in front of me, they're on their best behavior. I don't see all that. I had no idea. They're discovering things about one another that they hadn't known. But for you, it's like tenfold, right? Like you, you then see all the things that you didn't know about. Um, and that's a lot. That's a lot, right? Exactly. I think it explains a lot of their behavior. When I think back, I go, oh, that's why she was in that mood. Uh, I just watched the episode where 
Toomey went in to check on Natalia and Natalia wasn't open to that. And then Toomey's reaction. I think yeah. Toomey got that. Um, yeah. I think Toomey's awesome. Uh, also, it's her first. She's young. It's a learning. You have to learn when to pause. You yeah. have to learn when not to talk. My brother-in-law said something. I go, sometimes you don't say it. You think it, but you don't speak it. Because once you speak those words, it affects people. The impact of your words really resonate and and change lives. So you got to be careful with that. Your word is definitely powerful. I think a lot of people should learn that more because people just think and it's not. That's right. I do want to talk about the cameras for a moment. There's a lot we can't talk about. I know a lot is tied up in an NDA that you have with Bravo. I, I was a wardrobe stylist for Bravo on several different shows. So I'm aware of some of the behind the scenes logistics, but generally speaking, and looking back, what is it about eight years now? Do you feel that you were prepared for what you've since experienced having the cameras turned on and into your professional life? No, I was not. I had no idea the popularity. I had no idea how it would impact my life. But, you know, it's it's hard, you know, being a public figure. It's not always easy. Uh, people have their opinions. I do say I, when I wake up, I always think about how I can help another human being because being selfless makes it life is so much easier and better and other focused. Um, it, I also have a lot of mad respect for production and what they go through. And I always think about these heavy, heavy cameras on their shoulders and the stairs they walk up and down. I've had to learn to slow my roll. You know, I'm a walk with a purpose person. Now I have to slow down because these guys are running with the camera, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I don't. And um, then the people have to hide in the corner. And you made me remember that I worked, I was a wardrobe stylist on Top Chef Seattle. And that season, the finale was on a carnival cruise, part of the ending. I had to do wardrobe on this huge cruise ship. And so I have a, had a small taste of what it's like to like actually work. It is tough. And it, that's a ship. And that's a ship. Our issue was like, it's this massive ship and you're having to take war something from here to there. Like that was our problem. But with you, it's like, oh my God, this confined space is even more confined, Right. And, you, you know, I'm aware of their shot angles. Now I, I try to accommodate to me, the, the production company is the client. They charter the boat. You know what I mean? So I think like, how can I help make a better TV show slowing down, you know, make it safer. Um, and it's those little things that really matter and taking care of them, just like I take care of the crew, like they're part of our crew. Has being on the show prepared you for anything new in life, change things for you? Yes, it has. You know, I uh, being on the show, it reaches millions of people. I've created this charity to get an in-school program to teach people about the maritime industry as an alternative to college. I have thousands of parents email me. How can I get my kids into this industry? It's fascinating. You know, if it wasn't for Bravo, people would not know that there are jobs in the maritime industry. That's for me the number one thing because the maritime industry saved my life. Uh, number two is. Uh, the motivation that the show encourages people to, I think, be better human beings, to be honest. Like, it's really cool when I get these messages and I just, you know, tons of messages and you want to take the time for everyone. I used to give out my number all the time. My sister's like, you can't do that. You know, like I had to learn uh, the hard way, uh, but I was, I'm very trusting. And I just think, why not? 
what? Right. Don't, you know, so I had no idea the impact of what television would do to my life. Huge. Like we said in the beginning, I mean, this below deck is a pop culture phenomenon. It's everyone's favorite show. It really is. How do you bring a sense of place and grounding to your life as someone who is quite literally constantly on the move? That one's a tricky one right now. I'm finding it difficult, especially with everything that's going on with our house. I'm going home on Friday. I told Leah, I said, I'm not getting on a plane until January 6th. I get a lot of speaking engagements now for corporate world, which is really great. So that's a supplemental income. And I said, we have to play because in order to have a great attitude, you got to play. I'm a kid at heart. I need to play. I'm used to being on the banana riding it you know, behind the boat that we grew up on the water right i need water or i need to go skiing in the snow but that's the goal christmas new year's we are playing what are the ways in which travel inspires you i mean core to what you do is travel it must truly feed your soul oh yes and the education and the knowledge you know being in genoa like i i'm that person that goes and you know does the walking tours and i love the history part of it so I want Leah to experience that. And I love going back and learning more. Even in the United States, every time I go to Boston, I do that freedom trail. Right. I'm fascinated by it. From one of our followers, Kevin, he wants to know what spot is on your bucket list. Alaska. So Alaska is on your bucket list. Yeah, because I've never been and I want to see it before it melts. You know, like I'd love to go to the, you know, the Arctic and Antarctic. I'd love to do that. But, you know, it's really far away. And right now, I just don't want to I fly all the time you know I listen to the plane I'm like is there a train we could take (laughs) train travel right your surroundings where do you feel most like yourself in this world this world that you have seen so much of in the boating world boat shows with my people You know, like I just did the Monaco boat show. It was incredible on a boat. I feel around my industry people, I feel at home because that's what I grew up in after I got sober was the audience. It is such a welcoming, warm, happy. Everybody's happy. How can you not be happy when you're working on the water? I love it. We talked a little bit about, we talked about travel and your love for exploring when you travel. We talked about making the time to play, but is there anything else that you do to recharge and for self-care? You know, what you do requires so much attention to detail and so much focus. I bet it can be particularly draining. Is there anything else that's sort of on the list that like helps you? Yes, absolutely. In the mornings, I don't pick my phone up. I pray and then I have meditation. I'm not a big meditator, so I'm lucky if I can get 10 minutes in. And, uh, you know, I have a sponsor. I'm sober. I connect with her. So am I friends in recovery? You know, we just talk. And it's so nice when you have people that have been in your life consistently in that, you know, when I say like-minded people, that for me, that's spiritual realm because that's where I get fed. Also, I told Leah, I go, I want to start a book club. I just read this book called The Traveler's Gift. I go, oh, oh I love that idea. I've been thinking about that too. It I've said this before good. on the podcast. For me, Reading is the first thing to go when I get busy. Like the first thing that drops off my list is readings. Yes. I told Leah, I go, let's start a book club. Let's 
And I want to start with that book because I just read it. So I'm going to have everybody read it because it actually offers life lessons. Like one of them is you can change if you're in a, because the other day I, I never wake up unhappy. I have a joyful heart. Every day I walk through life, I'm full of joy. And I go, why am I not? And it's because of everything that's going on with my house. You know, and then you're hearing all these, you know, the amounts of money, the liens, and you're just like, <gasps> so I just decided after listening to that book, because uh, I read it and listened at the same time and highlighted that I uh, I have a choice. I can choose to stay in that moment, in that frame of mind, or I can choose to shift that frame of mind. And I use music to do that. So I put on happy songs, songs that give me hope and strength that I will prevail in the end, whether we're selling it or if we if he files bankruptcy, we lose it and all of our money, which is our life saving. Oh, so sorry. You know what? I'm looking at the, the bright side. I'm focused on that. Well, I think that's very evident about you. I think that's why you have so many fans and people gravitate toward you. Before we wrap up, one last question. I wonder what a year in the life of Captain Sandy Yon looks like. I would assume that you have to have a year's plan. You're probably somebody that needs to map out your year. Is that right? What does the next year look like for you? You know, unfortunately, I have to do that, but I, I am a spontaneous. I'm a Pisces. Me too. I love that. Totally <laughs> spontaneous. It's like, let's go to Vegas tomorrow. And, you know, Leah's not that person. She's becoming more that person. And I've had to shift and become more, you know, less spontaneous and say, maybe we should plan a trip to Vegas because she has a business, not like me. You go to sea and come home yeah. and you're free. Now that I'm, I've done below deck, I have all these speaking deals. I'm doing a I'm speaking on a ship. So I'm kind of hostage on a ship for five days. I'm like, you know, let's go to Mexico. I think I can enjoy this. And speaking at a boat show. So yes, that year is planned. We're getting married. I'm not going to drop the date yet, but. Oh, I didn't realize that. Congratulations. That's exciting. Is it that's a good- the number one thing that I'm most looking forward to is doing that. That's going to be incredible. Is it going to be a big wedding or a small wedding? You, can- you know, we can only have 55 people. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. That's exciting. So you shoot the show and then you have a separate part of the year when you're on sea off camera. Yes, exactly. And I'm still very active in my industry. How long does it take to shoot the show? And then you're you're away all summer off camera from, right? Is that how that works? Yeah. So six weeks we shoot the show. And after that, there's boat shows that I work, you know, I do uh, some deliveries. Uh, so to keep, stay relevant, uh, but more so, I've worked. So in the boat show, I just did Fort Lauderdale. They have what's like the United Nations. It's called the Mare Forum. So, you know, we represent a lot of countries, the maritime industry. So they have the little countries in front of them. So I was a part of that. It's really cool about changing, you know, flag state rules, you know, building codes to, hey, what are we going to do for interior people? They become a chief stew and then what? So, you know, always thinking how to improve. And that was really cool. So I'm a part of that right in the middle of my industry. And I've never not been. A lot of people do this show and that's, you know, they go somewhere else. And after that, I speak and uh, play as much when I can. Sandy, as we wrap, what things are you loving? I want a boat. I want a boat. I want to own a boat. So I'm looking at building one, not a big one. I want like a 50 footer that I can run by myself with Leah. And just take it up to the Northeast and the Med. That is really the only thing I'm focused. Obviously the house, but the boat. Which 
Which boat do you have your eye on? I'm actually considering a catamaran versus what I was looking at before, which was, you know, a Sunseeker or an Azimuth, because the catamarans have more room, because I want to host like women's retreats on there. Oh my gosh, Sandy. So I was on a catamaran a couple summers ago with a few friends, and we did that through Greece. And it's, it's a company called the Sailing Collective. Yeah. And I know that that company does, they do sort of like very focused retreats. That would be amazing. Yeah, because I'm friends with Dara Torres, the, you know who she is? Mm-hmm. The multi-gold medal swimmer. We're friends. And um, so her, myself, and Jennifer Grace, we're all thinking about doing that. Wonderful. So Wonderful. That's really it. Getting my house and a boat. There you go. There you have it. Yes. Fantastic. So you're a great interviewer. I just want to say this. I really loved your questions. I love that you talked about other things. So thank you. When I was in the UK with Hey You, I'm just going to say this, Elizabeth Day, you remind me a lot of her. It, to me, she, like she's the Oprah of the UK. She was so amazing. There were two people that interviewed me in the UK that I love. So I, and you're one of my favorite interviewers. Oh, in the UK. Sandy, what a wonderful compliment. Thank you so much. And since you have all those books back there, you got to have my book back there, Be the Calm or Be the Storm. Oh, yes, I do need your book. I need your book. I want to send you a book. I have a little section where I have all of our guest books. That would be, I'm dying to read your book, actually. Thank you.